Welcome to the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast, a free resource for gymnast parents and coaches to learn to fuel the gymnast for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. I'm your host, Christina Anderson, and I'm a pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, a former gymnast, a current nationally rated gymnastics judge, and a wife plus dog mom. I help gymnasts and their parents learn to fuel without the stress or overwhelm so that they can reach their big goals and dreams both in and out of the sport. We want to help parents take a proactive approach to nutrition, and to do so, this podcast is all about hashtag real talk, where we tackle tough subjects about nutrition, body image, and more in the sport of gymnastics. All right, let's dive in. You are listening to episode 36 of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast. Hello and welcome back, everyone. It feels like it's been forever since I've been in the podcast studio. I um, and getting a little bit better about batching these ahead of time because it is super busy this time of year, right? I know all of you guys have been traveling for competitions. I've been traveling to judge competitions, um, as well as we have our you know VIP program cohorts running. We've got team talks that have started up. So all that to say, all wonderful things. Um, but fitting in the podcasts, you know, is just a little bit trickier. So. Super happy to be back in the studio today. And I want to talk with you about something that I get questions about all the time. Um, I get parents who are like, help, my gymnast has ADHD and her medication makes her not hungry. And I'm now realizing that she's underfueled. But when I try to give her more food, she refuses it and just tells me she's not hungry. So whether you have a gymnast with ADHD or not, um, I think there's helpful things that you'll learn from this episode. And if your gymnast does have ADHD and struggle with nutrition, I want you to know that you are so not alone. I think there's a high percentage of gymnasts, you know, with ADHD in the sport. And I don't know of any research looking at this, so I can't give you a concrete number, but just kind of anecdotal evidence. Um, Because if you think about it, right, a lot of parents put their kids in gymnastics when they're younger because they're hyper and have tons of energy and they're trying to do, you know, flips on the furniture and swing around the stair railing. And so obviously gymnastics is the safest place for them. So um, I do think there is a, a higher prevalence in the sport. It'd be nice to see some statistics on that. But all that to say, if this is your situation, you are in good company. Um, we know that nutrition is essential for all gymnasts to grow and develop, to learn and to perform well. And we know that a lot of gymnasts are already underfueled or have what we call low energy availability or red S relative energy deficiency in sport. And we also know that those who are on medications for ADHD, specifically um, the stimulants, which can lower the appetite that can just compound the gymnast risk of being underfueled. And I can say a lot of the gymnasts that come to us who are struggling um, that have ADHD that are on these medications, they have a really hard time fueling adequately and properly for, you know, four to five plus hour trainings. And then when you throw in, you know, just some typical age appropriate picky eating or even more serious feeding challenges, um, it can make it a real struggle and it can lead to injuries, poor performance, um, and all sorts of issues that we want to try and mitigate. So like I said, a lot of parents that have children who have ADHD enroll their gymnast um, at a very young age in the sport because it's a great way to burn off some extra energy, to teach discipline, help them develop motor control and build strength. Um, Gymnastics classes are a great alternative to your child flipping around the house, swinging around the furniture, climbing the door jams. Um, But unfortunately, as gymnasts start to advance in the sport and train about 15 to 20 plus hours a week, 
if they are on these medications that blunt the appetite, they're at greater risk of inadequate fueling. And as you know, probably from previous episodes, it takes a lot of nutrition to support the competitive gymnast. Um, It's not uncommon for them to need anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 plus calories a day. And this can be really challenging for just normal people, you know, based on logistics and schedule and appetite. But this can be real challenging when someone um, is on a medication that makes them not hungry, or even if struggling with, you know, other um, issues like maybe depression or anxiety or things that also can get in the way of, of hunger. So what are some of the most common medications that are used for ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? Um, Stimulant medications, um, the most common class used in ADHD, and this includes things like Ritalin, Focalin, Concerta, which use methylphenidate, um, or medications like Adderall or Vyvanse, which use amphetamines as the active ingredient. There are some non-stimulant medications like guanfacine, clonidine, um, and bupropion. And these medications, while they may not blunt the appetite as much, they can have side effects like nausea, stomach ache, um, or poor appetite as well. So something that we often see in individuals who have ADHD and are on medication is what we call the appetite medication cycle. And this is where the appetite is blunted for several hours after taking this medication. It's then common to see kind of this exaggerated hunger, what we might call hyperphagia, after the medication wears off, often in the afternoon or evening, which can really concern parents. And these medications can make it really difficult for children to gain weight appropriately and develop appropriately because of the underfueling. And they can also lead to sleep disturbances, stomach aches, and nausea, which again, all that's also going to get in the way of fueling. Um, some of these medications are taken once a day and last about eight hours. Some of them are taken two to three times a day. And because of this, the window of opportunity for hunger is often slim, especially when your gymnast is at school all day, and then she has gymnastics all afternoon or in the evening. Um, the other thing we know is that when a child or teen goes long periods of time without eating enough, their behavior, concentration, and learning may deteriorate, which is only going to compound, you know, issues in school. And so for the gymnast, you know, it's not just about them eating enough, but it's also the ability to focus and make sure that their body is getting the nutrition it needs to repair and recover. Um, we don't want them to have you know, injuries associated with underfueling or just struggle in the gym because of inadequate nutrition. So like I said earlier, you know, gymnasts are already at risk of developing underfueling just because of the aesthetic nature of the sport combined with higher energy needs than, you know, gymnastics culture assumes. And when gymnasts aren't growing or developing, it's often assumed that this is normal just because of the sport, right? People are like, oh, it's fine. It's gymnastics. It's high intensity. It's long hours. It's fine if they didn't get their period by 15. It's fine if they're smaller than everyone. It's fine if they're not growing. Um, But I'll say that nine times out of 10, it's not fine. And that the real issue is a lack of nutrition or calories to support the training, recovery, and normal growth and development. This is a very fixable issue and it has severe consequences if not addressed. Um, Like I said, in the case of a gymnast with ADHD who's on medication, getting in this adequate nutrition can really be challenging. But the bottom line is if we don't correct it, the years and years of underfueling will catch up to them at some point. And this is when we see a lot of gymnasts experience different overuse injuries like stress reactions, stress fractures, um, the tendonitis, the growth plate inflammation or even acute injuries that then don't heal well, often during the early teen years around puberty. And for many competitive gymnasts, like that's when it matters the most, you know, especially if you have a gymnast that is trying to make it to college gymnastics, you know, that freshman, sophomore year are really important. They're probably a level nine or 10. um, And we definitely don't want them injured and on the sidelines. 
What isn't talked about, though, in terms of the risk of some of these medications, whether you have a gymnast or not, is also the risk of developing disordered eating because of the appetite blunting side effects. So a lot of individuals on these medications, they will eat all day or, or they will not eat all day because they don't feel hungry. And then when the medication wears off in the evening, they feel like they can't stop eating, which um, that's not just, you know, for people who are on ADHD medications, maybe you have ADHD and you're not on medication and you simply just forget to eat. Um, I know for myself, you know, I can be, you know, hyper-focused and working on a task and totally lose track of time and then realize, oh my gosh, it's already one or two o'clock today. And all I've had so far is coffee. So I, I totally understand these struggles, but often then hunger can come back in a big way, which isn't a bad thing, um, but it can make it really hard to regulate and kind of listen to the body. And so what a lot of individuals find themselves stuck in is this kind of overeating slash binge cycle with restriction. Um, and that's just not helpful in terms of health, body composition, or overall athletic performance. Another struggle that we'll see with, you know, gymnasts who have ADHD is also picky eating. Um, and a lot of what parents are taught about picky eating will only make the situation worse. Um, I know in my early years as a pediatric dietitian, I was taught all sorts of stuff like, you know, the three bite rule and the one bite rule and, you don't get to do X, Y, Z until you eat your broccoli. Or if you're trying to get a kid to try new foods, you make a sticker chart. And I can say that none of that is super helpful. And often um, more pressure around food will often result in the opposite of what you're really going for. And so children with or without ADHD, they need structure with meals and snacks that are also adequate. So you want to focus on at least three meals a day, two to three snacks, per day served at regular intervals. Um, if you want to learn more about that, that's a huge part of what we teach in our um, online self-paced course and our program, which also includes some bonuses on picky eating and kind of our philosophies there on how to take a no pressure approach that is going to help develop a competent eater in the long run. Unfortunately though, this picky eating can just complicate, you know, their ability to get what they need, especially when um, they're gone at school all day. You know, you can supervise them at home and hope they eat a good breakfast. But for a lot of these gymnasts, they're then at school and they may or may not get a snack mid-morning. They're then at lunch, which is totally unsupervised. And most kids already have a hard time eating lunch in time. You know, by the time they get settled in the lunchroom and such, they have like 15 minutes to eat and they want to see their friends and they want to talk and they want to run out to recess. And so, um, gosh, that's probably a whole nother topic for another day. But you kind of get the gist that it's very easy for a gymnast to then show up at practice at three or 4 PM in the afternoon. And they really haven't had a whole lot to eat that day. So then it's no wonder that they have trouble focusing. They may get a headache. They may complain they're nauseous. They may just not have a lot of energy, may not perform well. They may have difficulties regulating mood and emotion, which sometimes coaches might interpret as them just misbehaving or being uncoachable or, you know, Oh, well, their medications worn off. Like they need an extra dose when it's like, no, um, this is actually just, them being underfueled and the brain not having enough nutrition to help regulate mood and emotion and, and stay focused. There is a ton of probably what I will call nutrition noise out there in terms of nutrition for ADHD. Um, there's a lot of popular diets and alternative therapies floating around on the internet. Um, and there's a lot of parents who, you know, maybe their child is diagnosed with ADHD and they don't want to put their child on medication, which is perfectly understandable. But I will say that a lot of these diets out there will include a lot of restriction or elimination of major food groups that could further perpetuate some of the underfueling struggles and the behavioral issues. 
Um, we have a blog on all of this that I'll link to in the show notes that then links to several um, research studies that talk about this. And one thing I need to highlight is you may find alternative practitioners, whether it's a chiropractor, naturopath, functional medicine doctor that claims that they will do like food allergy or food intolerance tests. And, you know, if you eliminate whatever foods that your child is intolerant to, it will heal their ADHD. And what you need to know is that a lot of those tests are what are called IgG antibody tests. And when we eat food, our body produces antibodies in response to those foods. So I've worked with a ton of gymnasts that um, whether they're you know injured or not performing well or not growing or they've got ADHD and their parents are trying to take like a non-medicated approach, um, their practitioner will run a, you know really expensive food intolerance tests. And when they get the results back, it'll say that their kid is quote unquote intolerant to like 30 or 40 foods. And some of the foods on the list might kind of make sense, you know, stuff like gluten or dairy. It's like, okay, yeah, like that, that might make sense. But then the other foods are things like strawberries and cucumbers and oats and chocolate and like tons of stuff that you're like, wait a second, like my kid always eat this, eats this stuff. I don't, I'm not sure it's a problem. And that's because those IgG antibody tests are only showing the presence of antibodies that were produced in response to the body seeing the food. So of course these tests are going to, you know, show that your kid is quote intolerant to all these foods that they happen to eat. Like those are just the foods that they eat. So, um, that can be a real slippery slope when you all of a sudden, you know, pull all the favorite foods from your kid's diet, or you pull major food groups that they really depend on to get calories, to get protein, to get adequate fat and carbs. Um, we've worked with a lot of gymnasts who, it's only worsened their underfueling. It's only worsened their performance. It's led to injuries. Um, and it's certainly worse than them in terms of mental health. So it's just something that um, I'm certainly really, really cautious on. Um, another hot topic for ADHD is sugar. Um, and a lot of parents of gymnasts that we work with report that all their gymnasts want um, is sugar or carbs. And I will say that often this is due to underfueling. Like it makes sense that when the brain senses there's not enough food available, it's going to increase the drive for quick energy foods like carbohydrates and the simple sugars. This is just an evolutionary mechanism um, for our brains to keep us alive. It's just a survival mechanism. And this is, this is good. This is protective. So whether your gymnast has ADHD or not, if you feel like all they want is sugar and sweets and treats, that's probably your first sign that they're a under fueled. And then B, they also might be over restricted. And that will only increase the wanting and the liking. So this is why we teach parents how to handle the fun foods in a balanced way that doesn't leave your gymnast feeling over-restricted so that when they get their hands on, you know, said forbidden foods, they go crazy and they FOMO eat. Um, we teach parents how to build balanced meals and snacks that not only meet their nutrition needs in terms of energy and carbs and protein and fat and micronutrients, but also um, nutrition from a, an emotional and a satisfaction perspective because satisfaction is actually a really important part to our eating and to our ability to um, listen to our hunger and fullness cues. I tell this parent, to, I tell parents this all the time. It's not wrong to want to minimize added sugar in the diet, especially if you have a gymnast with ADHD. It's just important to recognize that over restriction could lead to increased wanting obsession and poor behavior versus eating these foods in kind of more normal amounts. And so that's kind of where the research on sugar and ADHD is really murky. You know, there's definitely um, papers out there and experts who will say that, you know, children with ADHD should not be given any sugar because sugar causes hyperactivity. 
but it's really chicken or the egg, right? Are they really hyperactive from the sugar or have you over-restricted it so that when they finally eat it, um, they go crazy with it, right? So I think it's really important to teach all children and teens how to include the fun foods um, in a balanced way. We want to raise our gymnasts to be competent eaters. And I think over-restriction of any food or food group can easily make more of a problem than, than the food itself. So um, it's definitely something I would discuss with a parent on a case-by-case basis. But I would say most of the time when, when gymnasts are struggling with food in one way or another, um, it's been because of over-restriction. Another area of nutrition and ADHD is the food dyes. So I will say that from the literature that we have available today, um, the research on food dyes and ADHD is mixed. Um, As always, I don't think it's wrong to eliminate foods that have food dyes, right? No one is saying that you have to give your kid, you know, red Hawaiian punch or, you know, red Gatorade or whatever. Like no one is saying that you have to do that. You can totally... Um, find alternatives that use, you know, food sources for coloring or don't have any coloring at all. Um, There's one meta-analysis that shows that possibly up to 8% of children with ADHD are sensitive to food dyes, particularly um, synthetic red dye number 40 or similar derivatives. But again, I think it always goes back to, um, is this going to have a a negative behavioral effect on them? And I will say that this topic is probably not as big of a deal as the whole sugar, um, just because, I mean, yeah, maybe if your kid loves red Hawaiian punch and you take it away and they lose their mind and can't find a good alternative, like that might be a problem we need to talk about. But I think for most kids, you know, if you swap out their, you know, XYZ, they're not going to care so much. I think something important to note here is just context. You know, is your kid having a small handful of M&Ms, you know, every once in a while, are the food dyes in that going to hurt them or cause some outbursts in bad behavior? Probably not. Um, should your child with, you know, ADHD be having, you know, red dye fruit gummies and red dye Gatorade and red dye, you know, XYZ foods multiple times a day, every day, if they don't have behavioral issues, then I I can't say it's necessarily going to hurt them. Um, but if you are having trouble, you know, with behavior and you want to try to eliminate those and it doesn't have any sort of negative consequence on their relationship with food, then I don't, I don't think that's a problem. There's also some interesting research on ADHD and vitamin deficiencies. So we have some studies showing that children with ADHD are often found to have lower than normal levels of iron, zinc, and magnesium. Um, I think the question is, you know, do they and kind of how their brain is wired, do they need more of these minerals to function optimally? Or do these children tend to have lower levels because often they are picky eaters, don't have as varied of diets, um, or or are not eating enough? because of the appetite suppressing effects of medication. So with all of our gymnasts, um, we check iron and vitamin D panels every single year, once or twice a year, at least depending on the age and kind of what's going on. On occasion, I'll run a zinc a magnesium. We may even delve into, you know, copper and ceruloplasm and some other labs that all tie into the balance of iron and zinc in the body. Um, and so I think it's definitely something that you should test and not guess. And that's where working with a sports dietitian that is trained in pediatrics can be really helpful. Um, I want to talk about each of these a little bit more because not just for gymnasts with ADHD, but all gymnasts would benefit from getting their iron levels checked, especially their ferritin levels, which is a marker of iron stores. Iron plays an incredibly important role in the nervous system in brain development and in energy levels. Um, Iron is what binds oxygen inside your red blood cells and carries it throughout your body. 
which is why individuals who have low iron levels may have symptoms like shortness of breath, poor endurance, fatigue, lethargy, pallor. Um, it's very, very important for female gymnasts. And yes, you do want to focus on adding iron rich foods in the diet, things like red meat, which have heme iron, which is the most available to the body. But at the same time, a lot of gymnasts are deficient and they need to be repleted um, appropriately for a time period and have labs monitored consistently. Zinc is another uh, mineral that we'll talk about with ADHD. It's very important for brain development, for the metabolism of neurotransmitters, which are brain hormones like serotonin or dopamine, melatonin, which is a sleep hormone, or prostaglandins, which are chemical messengers involved in repair and recovery. Animal proteins are the best source of zinc, and you can also get zinc through whole grains, nuts, and seeds. Um, zinc is not something that I regularly recommend to supplement because zinc will deplete copper from the body. Um, and that's just an overall thing to really know that you don't want to be cherry picking random vitamins and minerals to supplement your gymnast with, because a lot of these minerals work in concert with other vitamins and minerals. And by, you know, putting your gymnast on zinc, because you've heard it's good for ADHD could disrupt their copper balance. And that could cause a whole host of other issues, um, that you don't want. So again, this is why working with a registered dietitian trained in pediatrics and sport is really important. Many athletes and gymnasts are often um, deficient in magnesium, um, along with children who have ADHD. I would say magnesium is one of the most important minerals in the body. It's involved in over 300 different um, enzymatic reactions. It helps with blood glucose regulation, um, lowers lactate production during exercise. It helps with vitamin D absorption, um, and it's often low in other health conditions, things like type 2 diabetes or metabolic syndrome. We also know that magnesium can be supplemented for individuals experiencing migraines or kind of headache and migraine, especially post-concussion. So as a sports dietitian, you know, our tagline is food first. So yes, we do want to try to add food sources of magnesium to the diet, things like leafy greens, um, Brazil nuts, almonds, whole grains, cocoa, cow's milk. Uh, but at the same time, um, I will, you know, supplement magnesium as indicated for my high level gymnast. And it certainly might be something that you consider if your gymnast has ADHD. Omega threes are probably the other, um, micronutrient per se that we could talk about. Omega three fatty acids are actually a type of fat, um, that have been decently studied in terms of a complementary treatment for those with ADHD. Um, these fatty acids are involved in brain development and brain function. Um, I will say that most of us are not getting enough omega-3, specifically EPA and DHA. So supplementing is not necessarily a bad idea. Um, the adequate intake for omega-3s is about one gram per day for, you know, females ages 9 to 18 plus or minus. Um, and you can get, you know, a gram from about three or four ounces of salmon. So unless you're eating salmon every day, you're probably not getting enough. Um, these fatty acids can also be effective in blunting delayed onset muscle soreness, which can occur, you know, up to 48 hours after a really hard workout. So if you're trying to decide, you know, is this something I should add to my child's diet? Um, obviously if you try to serve fish more often, you'll get a lot more nutrition from the protein, from the fatty acids, the vitamin D, the calcium. Um, but at the same time, most of us probably won't eat salmon every day. So it could be something that you consider supplementing. Um, but as always, I am really judicious when it comes to supplements because I think it's really easy to throw, you know, five or six supplements at a gymnast who is already just struggling to eat balanced meals and snacks. And I don't want them to waste all of their energy trying to be compliant with the supplements when we're really missing the big rocks of nutrition, right? Like if your gymnast is underfueled, if we're not balancing their blood sugar with regular meals and snacks, 
that is going to cause us way more problems with their ADHD, with their focus, with their recovery, with their performance than whether or not we're supplementing omega-3s or magnesium or something like that. So whether your gymnast has ADHD or not, I hope that you've learned a lot in this episode. Um, If you're a parent and you're concerned about your gymnast, you're not sure whether she's getting or he is getting what they need to be successful, um, feel free to reach out. Um, We're currently enrolling for um, the Balanced Gymnast Program, which is for level 5 through 10 female gymnasts. Um, We also have the Balanced Gymnast Course, which is our self-paced option for male or female gymnast parents of all ages, all levels. Um, And we'd love to help you learn to optimize your gymnast nutrition, um, work with their busy schedules, tackle issues like struggling with sugar or picky eating, um, and just help you to be overall confident in knowing that your gymnast is getting what she needs from a nutrition perspective to grow, develop, prevent injuries, and advance in the sport. So as always, if you found today helpful, it would mean the world to me if you'd go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. That's actually the only way. Um, to help promote the podcast and and share it with other gymnast parents who are looking for credible nutrition information. Um, We have a lot of free resources here on the podcast, on our Instagram, on our blog. And as always, if you have any questions or things that you want to hear on the podcast, um, don't hesitate to reach out. You can shoot me a DM DM over on Instagram at the.gymnast.nutritionist. And with that, I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast sponsored by the Balanced Gymnast Method course. Make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on any episodes. You can find any links that we mentioned in the show notes of the episode and also how you can work with us. If you're looking to learn to fuel your gymnast for optimal performance without the stress or overwhelm, feel free to email us if you have any questions. You can reach us at support at christinaandersonrdn.com. Share what's going on and we'll get back to you. Or you can learn more about our programs by going to 